Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in understanding, and let the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, well, again, it's good to be with you all this morning. If you do have your Bibles, I do encourage you to have uh, Proverbs chapter 1 open, uh, whether paper Bible or, or electronic Bible. And so we're going to be camped out in the book of Proverbs for the next eight weeks. But, but before we jump in, I just, you know, can we, can we just all agree that life is hard? Life, life is just hard. It's difficult. It seems like life is just one struggle after another. And, and, and if you don't believe me, you know, I, I have evidence of it, you know. I mean, if, you know, maybe you're like me, but you feel like, do you feel like things just don't work out the way you were hoping they would work out? You know, do you ever feel that? You know, they just, you, 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 you want things to go one way and they don't. I mean, this life is hard, people, right? Do you understand me? Maybe you don't, I guess. Uh, do you ever feel like you just, there's just so much you need to cover in life and you just can't cover it all? Like you're just, you're trying and it's just too difficult. Do you feel this pain? Yes, you do. You, you can't even speak because it's so difficult. You understand. Uh, do you ever feel like life is so messy that you can't even enjoy the good things right before you. You can't enjoy it. It's just too messy. It's too difficult. Or, or maybe you feel like me, you just, you just can't get a grip on things. Like you're, just, you're, you're trying and just things, they just rip apart in your hands. Or maybe you just feel too, too wound up and you just can't unwind and you, just, you don't know how to get back to a place of normalcy. Do you ever feel that? Amen. You can feel the pains of life. Okay. Yeah, maybe you don't. Okay. The, the point is, obviously all joking aside, we recognize that life is difficult. Whether it's in these small things, these first world problems, so to speak, that we all are plagued by, or whether it is genuine, legitimate moments of difficulty. And, and, and as, a, as a person who, is, who has faced some challenges in my life, and as a pastor who has journeyed with many of you through challenges even this year, I know that this year has been marked by incredible turmoil. Things like, like the loss of job or the loss of loved ones, things like marital or relational strife. Uh, financial debt or, or lawsuits. I mean, the list goes on. I know these things that you have journeyed through. And, and, and sometimes they're not even all bad things. They, they may be new challenges or good challenges that bring with them unique um, uh, obstacles. It may be a new job. It may be a new home, a new child. It might be a new church that you're still trying to figure out. And still, even these good things bring with them unique challenges and obstacles. And the question is, what is it that we need in these moments when we face something that we're not prepared for, we don't know how to respond, when life falls apart, what is it that we need, what is it that we want? And, and I think that we, we tend to want relevant advice. We, we want someone to tell us exactly what to do in this situation. I want to know the three steps, the seven secrets, the, the, the ten tips on how to navigate the challenges of life. And, and what I would suggest is that what we actually need is not relevant advice, but what we need is timeless wisdom. What we need is a wisdom that has been tested by time and is anchored in something greater than ourselves. 
What we need is a wisdom that is not about preparing the way for us, but preparing us for the way, so to speak. Which is why, precisely, we want to spend time in the book of Proverbs, this ancient collection of wisdom by King Solomon that we believe has timeless wisdom for us today. And so, th- so this fall, we're, we're jumping into this series that we're calling Restart Smart. Uh, and, and in many ways, you know, the fall is a season where, you know, we can kind of turn over a new leaf, so to speak, pun intended. Uh, but it's, it, there's new seasons, new rhythms, there's new things that we can kind of adopt. And what a great opportunity we have to turn to the book of Proverbs and to gain wisdom from God as we seek to live the good life as life ought to be lived. So if you have your Bibles, Proverbs chapter 1, we're going to be in uh, verses 1 through 9 together. Uh, But but before I jump in, I want to pray for our time as we hear from God's Word uh, that we might listen in, lean in, and have our hearts and minds open to what He has for us. So let's, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do pause in this moment to ask for your spirit to teach us your truth. Lord, I, 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 want, I want the words of, of Proverbs 1 to, to be planted deeply within our minds and hearts, that we would be a people, Lord, who are willing to hear and respond to your words of, of guidance and wisdom and truth. And may we walk in these ways, Lord, because yes, I, I know that I need wisdom, but I also know that, that I need the wisdom of others, Lord. We need to grow in wisdom together that we might live this life that you have called us to live. So Lord, bless the teaching of your word. May it be honoring to you and edifying to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, book of Proverbs. Uh, let, let me give just a little bit of a, of, of a framework for this, this book. Uh, so Proverbs, there's nothing else really like it in the Old Testament. Proverbs is very unique. Uh, there, there's a lot of wisdom literature in the Old Testament, but Proverbs is so unique in the way in which it is set up. Uh, the, the book is written by King Solomon, and it's, it's for the most part, uh, divided into two portions. You have chapters one through nine, which are basically a collection of about 10 speeches uh, between a father and a son, a father giving these words of instruction and guidance to his son. And then chapters 10 through 31 uh, are basically the collection of Solomon's wisdom about life, ranging from topics of of finance to to justice, to how we think about our words, to how we understand the poor. There is so much practical guidance and wisdom in this book. And and one thing I would recommend, there's 31 chapters in Proverbs. Uh, You can add a proverb uh, to your reading plan if you're reading through the scriptures. Great way to be immersed in God's wisdom. Uh, But a proverb, if if you're not familiar with even what a proverb is, a proverb is, is a short statement that contains distilled wisdom. That's just, it's very short, quick, pithy. It's, I mean, just think like, it was like the first version of Twitter, basically. That's kind of what Proverbs was, uh, just with less hate and resentment, I guess. Um, but, but basically, in this book, we find a collection of topics that speak to our life. In some ways, you read Proverbs, and it seems like it was written yesterday. Uh, and so the, the one thing that's important to know as well about the book of Proverbs is that we, we must be careful that we don't read it as if it are, it's a book of promises that if you do this and do this and apply this perfectly exactly like this, your life will turn out this way. That's not how we should approach the book of Proverbs. Uh, yes, God has promises for us in his word, but the book of Proverbs, it's not, it's not about pushing this button, pull this lever, and you get this life, but rather these are a collection of principles that for the most part, when we live in accordance with them, we find ourselves living into the good life. The tricky thing is, Life is not lived in isolation. 
And so as wisely as you may live, you may find that there's still problems in life because other people don't live wisely, which is why wisdom is something that we all need for each other. And so I, that's why I'm so excited for us to jump into this book uh, together. I would invite you to interact with the book on your own, read through Proverbs. You may have noticed uh, we have the whole ch- uh, all 31 chapters on the wall in the lobby. Uh, that's for you to engage in if you want to. Circle certain passages, underline Proverbs that you like that resonate with you. Just another way for us to be engaging this book of timeless wisdom in our day today. So, so that's kind of what's going on in the book of Proverbs, just kind of a general overview. Um, but before we jump into the text, I think it's also helpful to be really clear on what we mean by wisdom. If we're going to be spending eight weeks talking about wisdom, we should be clear as to what we mean by this. And, and, and from the outset, it's important to make the distinction between someone who is purely smart and someone who has wisdom. And I would say the best distinction I've ever heard in explaining the difference between being smart and being wise was a former student of mine when I was in youth ministry. And she said that being smart is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Being wise is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. That's, that's brilliant, right? That's brilliant. Like there, there's a difference between just intelligence and having the right understanding, the right information, the right answers. It's knowing what to do with those right answers in the right moments. Maybe another contemporary way of thinking about it is wisdom is that which we cannot get from Google. Maybe that's another way of thinking about it, you know, because I mean, if, if you Google what is wisdom, which I did in, in preparation for this sermon, uh, what you find is the first thing that pops up is not, it's teeth. What is wisdom teeth? Then what is wisdom in the Bible? So according to Google, teeth are more important than the word of God. So very interesting. But, but when we understand what wisdom is, it is not just information. It's not just no, having the right answers. Wisdom is about being the right kind of person who is rightly able to respond in the right situations. Wisdom is not about having the right answers necessarily, but it is about being the right kind of person who is rightly able to respond in the right situations. Because the reality is every minute of every day, when we are faced with decisions, we are faced with decisions of all kinds, and in many ways, these decisions lead us either down a path of greater wisdom or greater foolishness. The question is, are we aware of that? And even more importantly, are we willing to take, take seriously the words of wisdom from others and most importantly, from God's word? We see in the book of Proverbs, it is God's wisdom to us in living into his world as he is designed for our good and for his glory. Maybe a better way, and, and this is maybe a more helpful distilled down definition. When, when we talk about wisdom, I would say this, that wisdom is the skillful art of living in God's world. Wisdom is the skillful art of living in God's world. It's skillful because it's something that you you can't just develop quickly. You can't take a quick class or watch a series of YouTube videos on how to be wise. It's forged over time. It takes effort. It takes practice. And so it absolutely is a skill, but it is also an art in the sense that wisdom is not applied scientifically like, well, if I, if I always say this and always do this in this situation, this always results. We have to learn how to adapt the wisdom of God to all the various situations we find ourselves in. Wisdom is about living because fundamentally, if, w- wisdom is nothing if it isn't practical. 
if it doesn't actually shape and form the way in which we live and move and have our being in this world. And wisdom is about God's world because wisdom is God's idea. Wisdom is God's idea. So, as we turn to the text, as we turn to Proverbs 1, I promise we will get there, as we turn to the text this morning, uh, I want us to kind of do a deeper dive into what do we mean by wisdom? What is wisdom? And where do we start in pursuing this wisdom that is timeless and necessary and needed even for our world today? And the first thing I want us to look at in Proverbs 1, 1 through 9, is that wisdom is about searching and not just arriving. Wisdom is about searching, not just arriving. Now notice what Solomon says as he opens up the book of Proverbs. He, he doesn't list off his credentials. He's not showing off as to who he is, nor does he set this like extremely high bar for his son to reach towards, but rather he opens up Proverbs in verses two through three by saying, what is wisdom about? What is this book about? It is about to, to know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. So right out of the gate, we see that wisdom is not something that we master. You know, he's, Solomon is not giving the suggestions of, like, here are the steps to become really wise, and if you follow this, this is what happens. But rather, what we see is that wisdom is something that we, we don't necessarily obtain. It is something that we become. And we become a wise person, not in doing these, all these things, but rather in first and foremost, having the posture of a learner, of a listener. It's so fascinating, the first word used to describe a wise person in the book of Proverbs, I mean, a book that is devoted to wisdom, the first word used to describe a wise person is someone who hears. Look with me at verse 5. Let the wise, so the first time this word is used here in describing the wise person, let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance. So the very first word communicates something about the posture of a wise person. It's not someone who has it all figured out, but it's someone who recognizes that they don't have it figured out and they need to continually learn and seek the guidance and input of others and most importantly from God. The wise are the first who humbly recognize their need for the wisdom of others. Then and only then are they able to obtain knowledge and understanding and grow in wisdom. To put it, to put it simply, and, and, and Solomon does this throughout the book of Proverbs, he, he has this great contrast between the way of the fool and the way of the wise person. And, and there are a lot of distinctions between the two. But one distinction that, that Solomon uses over and over and over again is that the, the, the fool is one who rejects wisdom, who mocks it, who, who sees no need for it, who kind of lives their lives as their own standard. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1, is that we, we read these words, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. That's great, isn't it? Like, I doubt that one's like hanging in your dining room somewhere, you know? We don't really put that verse uh, on display. Uh, but similarly, Solomon goes on to say in verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So, so we, we need to see that the purpose, the posture of a wise person is one who is always searching but not necessarily always arriving that doesn't mean that we never come to conclusions or anything definitive, but it is always having this posture of recognizing we need the input of others and most importantly, God. 
So, so if wisdom is about searching and not just arriving, then let me offer just one takeaway for us from this first point here. If wisdom is about searching and not just arriving, then we need to be people who, who need to stop pretending that we've got it all together. If we're going to be a wise people who have this posture of listening and learning and hearing, we need to just do away with this pretense that we've got it all figured out, that we're smarter than what we think we are. I mean, I can't tell you how many conversations I am in on a regular basis where someone's talking and I don't know what they're talking about, but I'm just going along with it because I want to save face and look intelligent, you know? Like, I just have way too many smart friends, I think. That's the problem. Um, And so we need to be people who are willing to recognize we don't have it all together. The wisest person, the wisest person is not necessarily the person who answers first, but who is willing to recognize and and admit first that they don't have the answer. That's really the distinction between the wise person. It's not just the person that has the answer right away. It's the person who's willing to admit they don't have it all together right away. Is that what describes us? And, and I'll, I'll, let's, get, let's get real here. I'll be really honest here. Uh, so recently, some of you know our, our uh, senior pastor, uh, Nathan Miller of Congregational Development, is on sabbatical, and, and he's, he's been gone for about two and a half weeks, and I did not want to admit that I would miss Nathan. I didn't want to admit it. I mean, obviously, I miss him as a friend, as a brother, as a colleague, but the arrogant, foolish posture of my heart did not want to admit that I actually need him that I actually miss him, that I, that I need his guidance and his wisdom, that I need his leadership and his counsel. I wanted to kind of, kind of prove, like, yeah, we don't need any. I want him to come back and people forget his name. Like, no, that's not what I want. I don't want that, to be clear. Nathan, I don't want that. Um, <laughs> but I, I share this because th- that's how foolishness manifests itself in my heart. I don't want to admit that I don't have it all together. In fact, like, like last service, as I was trying to sum up the sermon, I couldn't even remember my own second point. I was like, church, help me, help me. I'm just evidencing how dumb I am. But the point is, we all need to be willing to, to recognize, we all pretend that we have it all together. Can we recognize, can we admit that we need the wisdom of others? Let's stop pretending. So wisdom is about searching and not just arriving, which means we are free to be people who can stop pretending that we have it all together. But Solomon goes on and shows us that wisdom is also about perspectives and not just practices. Wisdom is about perspectives and not just practices. And, and what I mean by that is we, we tend to think of wisdom as, as a tool we use on certain occasions. Like we, we pull out wisdom in these certain situations and apply it in certain situations, and then we put it away when we no longer need it. Or maybe a more modern example is we, we think of wisdom as an app that we pull out and we use in certain contexts. And, and the better metaphor, if, if we're using the app uh, language, is that wisdom is more of the operating system that all of the apps that we utilize are, are built on. Wisdom is not just something that we obtain. Wisdom really is someone we become by having the right perspectives. It's not all about the practices, but it is about having the right perspective. And according to Solomon, the pathway to becoming a wise person is found through a proper perspective of the fear of God, which sounds strange, I'm sure, for some of us, but this is where Solomon begins and roots the foundation of wisdom and knowledge, which, which he does use those words interchangeably, knowledge and wisdom at times, so just don't be too confused by that. But, but here, look with me at verse 7, where Solomon says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, again, that may sound strange, it may sound foreign, uh, because fear, that doesn't seem like a really good thing. Shouldn't we, aren't we like saved from a spirit of fear? How can fear possibly be the start of something good? And so wh- whether you're a Christian or not, sometimes that is a confusing category, and I get that. So let me try to clarify what Solomon is getting at here. Uh, the word fear that he's using, there, there's, there's a lot of different, well, there's two main Hebrew words that, uh, that we use, that we translate as fear. And one is the, the, the word pakad. And pakad is, is like the terror fear, like the things, that, like the phobia fear, the things that you dread. Like for me, like my pakad is clowns, okay? Like anybody else clowns? No, okay, you're all, okay, we got some. Okay, good, thank you. So like, and, and my, my children, they know this weakness about me. So much so that on the evening of my birthday, I got into bed and this was on my nightstand. This is what my daughter's made for me. <laughs> Who, who's the birthday boy? I was like, I don't even know what this means. I was like, thank you, do you love me? I don't know. Pray, pray for my family, please. Um, but that's, that's not what we're talking about. We, we all have Picard fear. And there is a sense in which that, that God is described in this way, that, there, that if you are finding yourself living outside of God's design, there's a sense in which pakad fear is appropriate. But the word that Solomon uses is the Hebrew word yare. And, and that word has a different connotation. It, it's more of a picture of, of respect, of reverence, of awe. It's not a fear that keeps me away from God and keeps me at a distance. It's actually a fear that draws me closer. In some sense, you could think of it as, as the, the fear of the Grand Canyon. It's so marvelous and amazing, but also, if you're not careful, it can be dangerous, but you're drawn closer to it because of how amazing it is. And, and maybe, you find that maybe this definition will be helpful for you. When we talk about the fear of God and the one that Solomon is speaking of, we would say that fear is the respect for creator God and his design boundaries that will crush me if I ignore them. I think that's the more appropriate way of seeing it, that fear is the respect for creator God and his design boundaries that will crush me if I ignore them. To fear God in this way is to recognize that there is an order and design to things and to desire living within those boundaries as God has designed it. That's what fearing the Lord is. It's not just recognizing that he is God but it's also being willing to live within his boundaries for life that are designed for our good. To fear God means that we live in an utter openness before him with nothing to hide. It means we live with this this complete delight in him and we live with a joyful obedience to him. Or or another way of saying it, when when you think about who God is, a proper fear of the Lord puts God in his right place and puts us in our right place. Meaning that God is the measure of all things and we are measured by him. When we, understand, when, when, when we distort that relationship that, no, no, I measure all things, I determine what is right, good, beautiful, and true, we find ourselves living outside of God's design and things fall apart. To put it simply, well, actually, I'll, I'll let C.S. Lewis put it more simply. He says it much better than I do. In describing this kind of concept, he says this, in God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. As long as you're looking down, you cannot see something above you. 
the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, which, which, which again, Solomon kind of interchanges here, is the fear of God. It's not, about, it's not about conquering fear, but rather properly reorienting, redirecting our fear that we might become the right kind of people. So when we see that wisdom is about perspectives and not just practices, let me offer this piece of, of wisdom for us to take from this portion of Proverbs 1. We need to be people, if we're to pursue wisdom, we need to be people who respect God's designed boundaries. We need to respect God's designed boundaries. And what this means is that we must functionally live our lives in such a way that when we mess with God's design, when we mess with the world that God has set up for us, that there will be ramifications. And it's not just disciplinary, like, oh, we've done something bad and God's upset with us. That's, that's not really the picture. But rather, we are messing with the way in which God has set up the world to function for our good. I, I recently heard a lecture by, uh, by this clinical psychologist actually talking about this, this concept of the fear of God. And in describing it, he says this. He says, the beginning of wisdom is knowing that when we twist the fabric of reality and morality, it will eventually snap back on us and have a serious impact. And if you are not existentially terrified, which is just a great line, use that at breakfast, and if you're not existentially terrified about the consequences of wavering off the line, then you are truly not awake. And so when we think about God's boundaries that he sets for us, which really the book of Proverbs is all about laying out for us, the life of wisdom is the life lived within God's good design for us. When we have a proper fear of God and of his boundaries, it is not that we are kept from joy, contrary to popular belief, that God's laws and commands and boundaries are keeping us from joy, but rather they are preserving our joy. They are guarding us from evil and allowing us to protect and preserve that which is right and good and beautiful. But do we have this kind of respect, this kind of fear, this kind of awe and reverence for God and for his design boundaries? Do we fear him, or is he just a trivial concept in our lives? So wisdom is, is, is about searching and not just arriving. Wisdom is about um, perspectives and not practices. But thirdly, what we see, and we'd be remiss if we didn't see this great picture that is displayed in the book of Proverbs and really throughout all of Scripture, is that wisdom is about who and not just how. Wisdom is about who and not just how. Because remember, the whole book of Proverbs is couched within this language of relationship between a father and a son. That, that's not to say that, that wisdom is just for men, just to, just to be clear. Um, it's probably just that we're more dense and we need to hear it more often, I guess. But, but, the, but rather, the picture of this language of a father and son, it's communicating that, relation, uh, that, that wisdom is more about who we are learning from and who we are becoming. Wisdom is not just knowing what to do in the right situation, but it's becoming the right person. It's not just having the right answers, but it's becoming the right kind of person. Which is why, I mean, as Solomon continues to open up for us in chapter one, we see he frames this language. The whole point of these first nine chapters is about a father giving wisdom to his son. In verse eight, we read these words, hear my son your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. It's not about us figuring out how to be wise on our own or taking some class, but it's, it's about a relationship. It is about a who and not just the how. And this actually points back to our first two points 
That, that just like wisdom, relationships are never meant to be mastered. Like, I have, I have mastered this relationship. I've figured it out. I am like, I am the best friend you've ever had. Like, that's not how we view and treat relationships. In the same way, wisdom is not about mastering it, but it's about growing in and pursuing the object of wisdom, the ultimate object of wisdom. Wisdom is not about living within our boundaries and determining them based on our own wisdom, but being willing to submit to and live within God's wise boundaries for our good. And all of this is because wisdom is about the who and not just the how. It's not just about practicality and tactics, but it is about fundamentally a relationship. In fact, as you, as you step back and look at the book of Proverbs in the context of the whole storyline of Scripture, we see that Proverbs, and really throughout Proverbs, you see that wisdom is personified as a woman, not, not just to help uh, create a metaphor, but as a way to reinforce this truth that wisdom is more about the who than the how. And I think the reason why wisdom is personified in human terms in the book of Proverbs is because God knew in his grand story that wisdom would ultimately and most beautifully be manifested in the wisest person of all, namely Jesus of Nazareth. As we see this and understand the picture of Proverbs, we shouldn't just read Proverbs in isolation and just try to get some good nuggets for how to live life better, but we must see that Proverbs is pointing us to the manifestation of wisdom itself in the person of Jesus. And so when we understand Proverbs in the light of all of Scripture, we come to see that that a life of wisdom is lived before the wisest audience of one. That if we want to be wise people, it's not just about having the right answers but it's about our willingness to live before the wisest audience of one. You see, Jesus is the manifestation of God's wisdom in perfect unity. He is the fullness of God, as Paul talks about in the book of Colossians. And so as we think about living a life of wisdom, we must see that we we have to come to Jesus. I mean, Paul makes this so clear. The book of Proverbs and the wisdom of God is made manifest in Jesus. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. At the end of chapter 1, Paul says, And because of him, referring to God, because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us what? He became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Paul would go on to say in Colossians to the Colossian Christians that that Jesus is all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in him. Not just because Jesus was the wisest man that ever lived, although he was that. And not just because he offers us some great advice on how to live, although that's true as well. But because what we see is that Jesus is the author of life and wisdom itself. He is the who that we must follow to find how to live this life that we all long to live. You see, in the story of Jesus and his life, we see that he wisely humbled himself before the will of the Father, that he lived within his boundaries and not his own, that he was willing to hear and listen to the voice of God and not simply pursue his own path. We see that Jesus, in offering his life, his death, and through the power of the resurrection, that he accomplishes for us the very things that Solomon hoped wisdom would provide for his son, namely righteousness, justice, and equity. The things we long for from wisdom are found fully in what Christ accomplishes for us on our behalf. And so, friends, if we want to be wise, if we want to grow in wisdom, We need to start, yes, with the book of Proverbs, but we need to see that all of that is building towards Jesus. 
We need to look to Jesus not just as our example, but as our Savior. We need to see him not just as the wisest man that ever lived, but we must come to trust and obey and worship him above all things, that he would be our greatest audience of one, so that we would find our hearts more naturally bent towards wisdom because of his life in us. The best place to start our, our restart, if you want to think about it in those terms, is with the wisdom made flesh in the person of Jesus. Let us start with Jesus, the manifestation of God's wisdom, who displayed such beauty and power and truth in his life, death, and resurrection. May this be where we start together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we ask that you would, Lord, in this, in this time, would you humble us? Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that, that we need to be a people who are willing and able to hear and listen from you. Lord, may we hear your word. May you speak to us. May you, may you show us where we are proud, where we are arrogant. Lord, where we are pretending to kind of have it all together. Would you humble us, Lord, so that we might be able to, to live into the life of wisdom that you've designed for us to live that is for our good. Lord, would you give us a proper view of who you are? May we fear you properly. May we respect you and have an, an awe about who you are so that we might know who we are. And may that push us closer to you and live in accordance with your design for life. And Lord, above all, may you help us to see Jesus as the manifestation of your wisdom who came to not only tell us how to live, but who enabled us through his life, death, and resurrection to live this new life that is now possible through him. Lord, would, be, would we be a people who are able and willing to hear from you and respond to you as the God of all wisdom and truth? It is in the name of Christ Jesus that we pray. Amen. Um, well, again, it was a joy to, to be with you all this morning. And um, yeah, just hopefully this has been a, a helpful start to this, to this series in the book of Proverbs as we seek to grow uh, and walk in the ways of wisdom that, that God has given us in this timeless word. So, uh, but before we head it out, I just want to give it just a quick update kind of where we are as a church. Uh, some of you were at our congregational meeting last week and uh, our, our fiscal year budget was approved, uh, but I wanted to let you all know about that. But um, in some ways, we also wanted to celebrate uh, as of today. So our, our church across all five campuses, our fiscal year uh, starts October 1st. And, and as of today, we are, we are well under budget, but also well over budget in terms of revenue. Uh, as we've seen uh, our, our campuses grow across the city, uh, we've seen the generosity of the church uh, grow and multiply, and we are thankful to God for that, which is allowing us to have a more Im greater impact in our city uh, and really throughout the world. Uh, and so we wanted to give you a quick update. So, so our budget that we've uh, approved on and voted on, it's an increase of about 11%, which is, which is a big jump for sure, uh, but it's because we believe that, that God is moving us and allowing us to have a great impact, again, in Kansas City, but also beyond the world as we think about, I mean, the close to over 500 churches that are connected to Christ's community through our global partners um, in Kansas City and around the world. Um, but as we share that, and as we, as we see the, kind of where we're moving as a church, uh, we also recognize the growing needs of our growing campuses. Um, so many of you were part of, of Reach KC, which was the initiative that allowed this building to kind of take place, which we are so grateful for. Uh, it's allowed the, the parking lot, as you can see uh, out the window, uh, that's going to be finished early October, which is great. Uh, but we, we still do have a gap um, in, in debt that we've taken on to, to help cover the cost of this building. But in addition to that, uh, we also are wanting to have land procured for our Shawnee Mission Campus. 
Uh, if you don't know, our Shining Mission brothers and sisters have been meeting in Trail Ridge Middle School, uh, and really from the beginning, they have been doing setup and teardown every Sunday morning, and it's, it's not a ton of fun. I, I've, I've gone and helped them on a Sunday morning, not a lot of fun. Great workout, not a lot of fun. Um, but we do, we want them to be able to have a permanent home to love and care for and to reach that part of our city that, that we can't in this part of, of, of Kansas City. Uh, additionally, our downtown campus, uh, which is probably our fastest percentage-wise growing campus, uh, currently does not have enough space for the children that come to that church. Uh, right now, they're meeting in a makeshift tent in the alley right behind the downtown campus. And, and, I, and I say this not to like, make you feel guilty and, and emotionally manipulate you, but so that we might be aware of the fact that we aren't just one church a part of some other kind of network of churches. We, we are all, Christ's community, all five campuses are in this together. And we want our churches to be able to have an impact and influence in the places God has called them. And so if you haven't been a part of, of Reach KC, if you haven't given towards that, we would invite you to jump in with us to help minimize that debt so that we might be able to have uh, the debt diminished and also land for our Shawnee Mission campus. Uh, but also, I encourage you to continue to be generous in the way in which you give towards Christ's community. Uh, we say this a lot, and we truly mean it, that it's not something we want from you. It's something we want for you, as well as for our city. Uh, we believe that God has is, is shown his favor towards us, and we want to continue to be faithful and fruitful in the mission he's called us to. And so there's a lot of growing needs that are across our campuses, and we invite you to be a part of the work that God is continuing to call us to. Um, so, so there's a lot we could share. If you want to learn more about the, the budget and all the reports, all that information is on the website. It's, uh, we don't hide anything about that. So if you have questions, feel free to talk to me or anybody on staff. Um, but I, again, I would just encourage you to be a part of the work that God is calling us to. And so if you have questions, talk to me. I'd love to answer any of those questions you might have. But, but it's exciting to be a part of what God is doing across our campuses, and it's a joy to have you all uh, in this together with us. So, uh, well, as we head out, I invite you to stand for our benediction, our good word for the road. Hear these words from Ecclesiastes. Solomon giving us these words of wisdom as he ends this beautiful book of wisdom in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Amen. Have a great and wise week.